You're listening to The Archive, a collection of sermons and teachings from Pastor Mike and his peers from days past. Stick around for timeless truths that still speak to the issues of our days. Please take your Bible, turn to the book of John. We're going to be looking at a little of 14, 15, and 16 of John. And we're going to begin now that you've found your place in John. Keep it there, please. And we're going to look at one verse in the book of Acts, chapter 1. Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. These are the words of Jesus addressed to the 11 apostles. Of course, absent was Judas, having hanged himself as a result of his betraying Jesus. But now he's speaking to them. He's been with them for 40 days, more or less. There were 10 days until Pentecost. He did not tell them how long to tarry, to stay in Jerusalem, but he said, stay until what the Father has promised you will come to pass, and that something was someone, the Holy Spirit, to come and fill them. This takes back all the way to the book of Joel, by the way, in the Old Testament, and it came to pass on Pentecost, as we call it. It was the Feast of Harvests which was seven weeks and one day after Passover. So this is what he says to them as he's preparing them for his departure. These are Jesus' last words to his apostles. Verse 8, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. In 1961, the Philippines were celebrating their independence for the 15th time. 1946, the Philippines became a sovereign nation. As part of their celebration, they had invited General Douglas MacArthur, the man who had liberated with the army of the Allies their country. And gave a signal that the war was coming to an end in their land. They revered this man. When he came back, he was greeted with an event that he had no preparation for. This man who was very stoic, a man who was always in control of his emotions, began to weep when he heard three simple words. You see, the government of the Philippines, when it was instituted, as an independent nation in 1946 declared that there would not be a day in the future that would pass without some regiment of the military of the Philippines when roll call was given there would be someone a sergeant who would declare when the name of Douglas MacArthur was called in the roll call would simply say present in spirit That was enacted in his presence as a regiment of army answered the call of the roll caller and his name was heard at the end and it touched him very deeply. Present in spirit, 
That is what we know about Jesus. Wherever two or three have gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst of them. Today, Jesus Christ, believe it, is present here in spirit. Jesus promised that he would ask the Father and the Father would give the apostles another helper, that is, that he would be with them forever, that is, the spirit of truth. And he went on to say, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you again. Now the immediate answer to that promise was that after three days in the grave, Jesus was raised from the dead and he spent, as I've already mentioned today, 40 days with them, intermittently showing up at different situations and places and fellowshipping with the men and some of the women as well. But what we do know is Jesus went back to heaven. He ascended 10 days before Pentecost to heaven. But he didn't leave us alone. He sent us another helper, the Spirit of Truth. The word translated another there in John chapter 14 as it relates to helper, another helper. There are two words in the original language of the New Testament that can be translated another. One is another of a different kind. It's the word heteros. We get our words that are prefixed by heteros, that kind of other, something that's different, polar opposite. The word which Jesus chooses here, not surprisingly, is the word of the New Testament language, which means another of the same kind. The Holy Spirit, Jesus was saying, the helper, the spirit of truth, would be another just like me. It's stretching a little bit, but not too much to say the Holy Spirit is like Jesus without a body. And he's looking for people to indwell. I'm not saying that I believe in reincarnation. Don't mishear. But I do believe what the Bible says. When the question is posed by Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians, he says, What do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And he's talking about individuals. Do you not know? I'm asking you today. If you know Jesus Christ and you have trusted him, do you not know that your body is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit of God? And you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify him in your body. Jesus is coming again. He will establish his kingdom here on earth. It will be a wonderful time. But meanwhile, he has not left us alone. The Holy Spirit of God is here. The Bible talks about the Spirit of Christ. In Romans 8, it says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, that person does not belong to Christ. It is part of what it means, a big part of being one who knows Jesus, to have the Holy Spirit dwelling in our lives. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you. And that's good news. It's good news because the equipping work of the Holy Spirit for us to be witnesses as Jesus talked to the apostles, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, yes, and even to the remotest part of the earth. This morning, we're going to read again from the Bible in John 15, 26. Look at it. 
when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness to me, and you shall bear witness also because you have been with me from the beginning. The Holy Spirit prepares others to receive your witness to Jesus Christ. Do you know that? We have an example, one of many actually, in the book of Acts. The example has to do with a man named Cornelius. Cornelius was a man of great standing in the Roman Empire. He was a centurion, which means he was like a commander of a whole company, if not a brigade of soldiers. It's been said about military historians that the backbone of the Roman Empire really was to be found in centurions as they brought the peace to places. They conquered enemies, and they were the ones who kept the peace once the peace was brought. This was such a man. He had been told by the Lord to send for a man named Peter in Joppa. Joppa, meanwhile, was where Peter lived. And one afternoon, he was taking a siesta, getting out of the heat of the house and going to the open air. And he had a dream and a vision. And he saw a big sheet of unclean animals, as far as the law of God was concerned, being lowered. And he was told to eat. And he said, no, I'm not going to eat that. He's talking to Jesus. He says, no, do you ever do that to the Lord? No, I'm not going to do that. But the Lord persisted, and finally, after a couple of more lowering of the cloth and a stern warning from Jesus, he said, okay, Lord, I'll do what you say. I'll go to a Gentile's house. And as far as we know, he'd never been to a Gentile's house. And he was to go there, and he was to preach the gospel to them. And he went, and he preached the gospel to Cornelius. Upon arriving there, however, when he knocked on the door, in he was coming, and here comes Cornelius. And Cornelius, remember who he was, dignified, authoritative. And he falls on his face, as it were, before this man, Peter. And Peter, in humility, grabs him and picks him up, looks him in the eye, and he said, Stand up. I am a man just like you. There would have been a time that Peter would have relished that scene when he could have seen this Gentile dog as he had been raised to think of people who were not of the descendants of Abraham as being. And he had been radically changed. He shared the gospel with his whole household, and the whole household was saved. They were prepared. Cornelius was prepared before Peter ever arrived. Do you know that the Holy Spirit prepares others for your witness before you ever get there? I wish I could document the exact year. It's been sometime in the last five or six years in the summer, hot. We were going out with Share and Care under Pastor Dan's leadership, and I was teamed up with Adam Ayala. I remember the name of the street, Brisa Del Mar. And Adam and I were going door to door. We were taking turns, knocking on the door, greeting the people, tell them who we were. We're from Coronado Baptist Church, and we are here to extend kindness to our neighbors. We're giving away light bulbs. Would you like one? And when the door that I'm talking about opened, there was a man, a young man, and it, not a young man like most of you think. I remember who I am in my age, but he, he was a young man, and 
he took one of the bulbs and then I asked him I just took another step and I said do you have an interest in spiritual things and he said as a matter of fact this morning I was in my backyard trying to make a very difficult decision and I prayed to my tree well I knew we had a live one on the line <laughs> and I said well would you mind if we shared with you how you can know the one true God and I didn't really quite frankly I didn't think he would say yes he said yes please come in it's rare that we would get invited in when we do those cares and shares but Adam and I sat there in the living room and we shared Jesus with him the whole gospel and he prayed to receive Christ that day. Talk about, you could have knocked me over feather. But I shouldn't have been surprised because what does the Word of God teach us? The Holy Spirit prepares others for the witness he's going to declare through us. We simply have to be available to the Holy Spirit. We have to be filled with the Holy Spirit, trusting in him, to lead us and guide us when we walk in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. And by the way, that for missionaries and pastors and people and what we call full-time Christian service, this is for all of us. And we deprive not only the Lord of His rightful place in our lives, we deprive ourselves of our birthright to be people not only in whom he lives, but people through whom he communicates the gospel. Remember, the Bible says it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's not about how clever you are. It's not about how much learning you have. It's not about your intellect. It's not about your standing in the community. It's about the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life who prepares others to receive the witness that you give to the Lord Jesus Christ. A week ago Friday, I answered the doorbell. I opened the door. I was really expecting a neighbor. But instead of a neighbor, it was a woman whom I had never seen. And I saw a lanyard around her neck, and I noticed a name tag at the bottom of it. And it was Miriam. She identified herself as a representative of the Census Bureau of the United States. She was taking census. After all, it is 2020. And I said, do you know the origin of your name? She said, no, I don't. I said, would you mind if I told you what the origin of your name is? And then I launched in, after she granted me that privilege, I launched into a short description of who Miriam is in the Bible and Moses her little brother how she played an instrumental role in preserving his life and so forth and so on then after I finished the story I said to her may I ask you another question I said do you have an interest in spiritual things and she says I'm a Roman Catholic and then I just went on forward I said, do you know for sure that you have eternal life? That is to say, if you were to die today, you would go to be with God in heaven. And she said, no, I don't. I quoted Romans 6.23, which says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then I proceeded to talk about 
those aspects of the gospel which are in that little verse of scripture. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. And so I shared the Lord with her. She didn't want to receive Christ that day, but I could tell she was genuinely interested. You can tell when you're talking to a person if they do have interest. I asked her, would you take a Bible? I had a little Bible inside. I went in and brought it out, and then I wrote down the places she was to look to begin with, particularly John 3, that chapter about Jesus talking to Nicodemus and others associated with it. And I said, would you please take this, read it. I wrote my phone number in the back of the Bible, or the front, I can't remember, somewhere, and said, please call me if you need anything. And then she finished by saying this. She was very polite. She'd been schooled to do that, I'm sure, by the census people. But she was, by nature, I could tell, she was a gentle soul. And she said, this is the second time today a man has asked me those questions. The second time today. Do you know how big the odds are against someone being asked one time a day that question or those questions. I was having a meal with a dear brother of mine. Uh, we've been friends in the Lord for 40 years. And as we had breakfast on Friday morning, I asked him. We had, and, and what spawned that, there was a lady waiting on us, and her name was Mariah. Well, that's like sick him to a dog, you know, or Mariah. You know where Mariah is? Don't you know? Could you tell where Mariah is? Mariah is the hill or the mountain that God told Abraham to go to, taking his son, his only son Isaac, to sacrifice. And that's a foreshadowing of Jesus dying on the cross. I said, oh Lord, here we go. It's awesome. So that led me to asking the question. We shared with Mariah and a little bit there at the table. And by the way, people who wait on you, if you ever eat out, uh, you're paying them for their services, so they're going to listen to you. It's kind of like a captive audience. But anyway, I told my friend, I said, have you, he's 71, I'm 70. I said, has anyone ever approached you, not in a church setting, not in some religious gathering place, has anyone ever, out of the blue, cold turkey, approached you about whether you knew Jesus Christ? And he stalled a moment and he said, No, no one has ever approached me. Amazing. Living in the United States of America. And then I told him, I've had only one person in my life who took the initiative in a non-Christian environment to share Christ with me. Now I know I've run across a lot more believers who didn't identify with Christ publicly and didn't share. Now I'm not trying to make you feel ba bad today. I am one who is not just raring to go to share Christ, but I have learned the importance of being obedient to Christ and not only that, the joy that's associated with not being ashamed of Jesus and His words in this adulterous and sinful generation, but to share Christ with people. God will open the door. He prepares in advance. That one person who approached me, it was a cloudy day somewhere in the eastern United States. I wish I could be for sure. It was on the eastern seaboard. It was either Florida 
or North Carolina. I have not traveled that much, so don't be impressed that I can't remember which place it was. But I walked on the plane. I was tired. I don't remember what the circumstances were, but I was very fatigued. I walked in, and when I get on an airplane, usually I'll say to the Lord, Lord, if there's someone that you want me to share you with on this ride, would you please seat that person beside me or me beside that person? And I was about to pray that prayer, and I said, Lord, I am whipped. I am tired. I don't want to talk to anybody about you today. Well, I was just being honest with the Lord, okay? And I said, furthermore, Lord, I would like to sit down one time with somebody who starts a conversation with me about Jesus. And I thought, the odds of that happening are astronomical. So I sat down, and the guy next to me, he initiated conversation with me. And I, I heard him. I was trying to be cordial. I was not trying to deceive him, but I wasn't going to give anything away until I thought it was appropriate. And he, I could see where he was going. And I was thinking, I was so grateful for that man. He was a layman, and he was sharing the gospel. It was awesome. I was encouraged. I tried to sort of cover up my excitement about it. And then at the end, uh, when he asked me if I had ever received Christ, I said, yes, I'm a Christian. I don't think I told him I was a pastor. I was enjoying not being one that day a lot. <laughs> but the good news was that he did share. Do you know, I'm telling you, the Lord has prepared people in your life if you are a Christian. He prepares them. We miss people every day, I'm sure, when it comes to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people. He has prepared them. There's no better place that I know of, not that I'm a person who is that well-traveled in the U.S. I've been to most of the major metropolitan areas. There's no other place, a city of this size or larger or somewhat smaller that people are not more open to the gospel of Jesus Christ than El Paso, Texas. It is a mission field. It is awesome. And we need to take the opportunities which the Lord provides. And we really don't know until we step out. I remember one other occasion, forgive me for the illustrations, but I was going to pick up someone from the airport late and the, I got a call on the way to the airport that the flight had been delayed. I had gone into a 7-Eleven to pick something up to probably keep me awake. I went in there, got something to drink, and had rushed out to my car. I had this fleeting thought as I was leaving, you should have witnessed to this man who helped you. I said, okay, Lord, I blew another opportunity. Please help me not to miss the next one. And then I got that call, and I thought, well, that's the Lord giving me time. So I circled back, went back in, and I thought this young man would have no interest. And I was able to share the whole gospel with that young man and was able to continue to communicate with him after that. Do you understand that the Holy Spirit prepares others to receive a witness from you? If you know the Lord, He dwells in you by His Holy Spirit. He wants us to be in a position in relationship to Him where we're not just in the family of God, but we are all in. We're committed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and we love the Lord, and we want other people to have the privilege of knowing Him. 
The second thing, which is like the flip side of the first thing, what is the first thing? The Holy Spirit prepares others for your witness, if you know Jesus. The Holy Spirit precedes your witness with His witness. I recall the story in the book of Acts, the 8th chapter. The story is of Philip, one of the prototypical deacons in the Jerusalem church. Philip was told by the Lord to go down to Samaria where there were people who needed to hear the gospel. Samaria, remember it? You shall be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, that's your neighborhood. Judea, that's your state maybe. I don't know how to quantify or qualify those things, but then Samaria was the other side of the tracks. You don't go there if you know what you're doing. But here he goes, he obeys the Lord, and he began to preach the gospel. Large numbers of people were coming to faith. The Bible says in Acts 8, he was baptizing men and women by the scores. And then at a time, if I were writing the script, and I'm not, if I were God, and I'm obviously not, I would say, this is a place you need to milk this for all it's worth for the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit said, I want you to get up from here and I want you to go down to Gaza. And if you look at a map of that region, you find Samaria, the city of Samaria, the capital of that area, and all the way down to Gaza on the Mediterranean Sea. That's quite a hike. And he obeyed the Lord. When he got to the crossroads there, what he discovered was there was a man sitting in a chariot. And this man had a scroll, and the scroll was unrolled. And he could hear, he couldn't hear exactly what he was saying or what he was reading, but he could hear he was reading aloud. And as he got closer, he heard he was reading Isaiah 53. Do you know what Isaiah 53 says? Among other things, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he asked, that is, Philip asked him, Do you understand what you're reading, sir? He says, how can I understand? I have no one to explain it. He was wanting to know what it said and what it meant. He could read it. He was an intelligent, educated man. And by the way, he was the treasurer of the queen of Ethiopia, her name, Candace. And he got up in the chariot and he began to explain. And he gave his life to Christ. The Holy Spirit preceded the witness of Philip in what form? In the Word of God. He got somehow a copy, been to Jerusalem, and he must have been someone who was a God-fearer to begin with. He was a seeker. And he got that scroll and he was trying to figure it out. And God sent Philip to him. Do you see the importance of an individual? Most of us would have said, he's got a bunch of people listening to him preach and a lot of them are coming to Christ. Never underestimate the importance of the individual. Jesus is interested in every person in this room, every person in this city, every person in this state, in this nation, in this hemisphere, in this world. Jesus wants them to be His. And He uses people like us to accomplish that mission. We begin right where we are, and He leads us to other places. Holy Spirit, what a God He is. What a wonderful Lord. Precedes us in our witness.
with his own witness. And here's the last major idea. The Holy Spirit provides the power for that witness. You may say, well, Lord, I'm so weak. I stutter, I stammer. I forget when I'm under pressure what I'm supposed to say. Lord, how do I begin? No one's ever taught me. Well, we can help you with the last part if you're interested. We can help you learn. And we're not just going to give you a course that's academic. We're going to go and show you how it's done. We're going to be there and we're going to let you apprentice beside us. And we're going to fumble the ball too. But we're going to try, depend on the Holy Spirit believing what we've already learned today. He prepares the people we witness to. He precedes us and gives witness to them. And then He provides the power, power to be like Christ. The Lord Himself lives in us. And the Holy Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace. Do you know people really take note of people who are loving? How many people are in a loveless world in which we live? I'd say 99% easily have no real love given to them. How many people around them have joy? Joy, of course, is independent of circumstances, not to be confused with happiness, which depends upon circumstances. How many people do they know who are joyful, really? The joy of the Lord is our strength if we know Jesus. And it's ours because the Spirit of God lives in us and reproduces His life in the area of joy and peace. These things are things that are very glaringly absent from our culture today. The very opposite is true. We who know Jesus have Him in us. He was a man of peace. He was full of joy. He says in John 15, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. You know what he was talking about? He says, I'm the true vine, you are the branches, and if you abide in me, then you're going to have my life flowing through you. And part of that is, you're going to be full of joy. Are you suffering a joy depreciation in your life? Do you have joy? Well, if you have Christ, you have access to that if you yield yourself to His leadership. If you ask the Holy Spirit to control your life. He delights in giving you the power to be joyful and to be loving, to be peaceful, to be kind, to be good, to be gentle, to be self-controlled. He gives us the power. It's His nature. And He will do that through us. And that will be the bait that the Spirit of God will use to bonify our witness. But we cannot simply, by being that way, tell people the gospel. The gospel has to be verbalized. People aren't saved by my being a nice man. They're saved by Christ getting outside of my mind, into my mouth, and I share Christ given the opportunity. We don't force the gospel down anyway, one. And this is the beauty of walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the beauty. That if we do, we know that. And we don't have to verify to ourselves and make us feel like we've accomplished something if someone rejects the gospel when we share it. Our job is just to share it. We read from Mark chapter 4, remember? The 
parable of a man who sows the seed, he gets the ground ready, he does his work, and then he goes to sleep and lies down, and the seed begins to germinate. And after a few days, some life pops out of the ground. And before long, the blade comes and the stalk, and then all of a sudden, there's a harvest. And the scripture says, the farmer, the sower, doesn't even know how it happens. And the words of Jesus say, it happened by itself. That's what it says, it's by itself that it happens. That's the way it looks. The word by itself, two words translated by one, this one word translated by the two English words by itself in Mark chapter 4, 26 through 29. It's the word, listen to it, as it's spoken in the Greek language, automaticon is the word. You hear an English word or English words from it? Automatically. We have the responsibility just to sow the seed. The power of the gospel is that which changes the world. Our world is in turmoil. This nation is racked with division and hatred and misunderstanding and is desperate for somebody or something to bring it together again. The someone is God himself. He's the only one who can do it. And by the way, you and I are the agents to bring it to pass because the Bible says this. The Bible tells us that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. How does that work? I want to know how, Lord. Well, the Lord doesn't leave us to just guesswork because in Ephesians 6, the Bible talks about how among the pieces of the armor of God is the item of the sandals. And when you put on the sandals of peace, the peace of God. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And as we shot our feet with the gospel of peace, and we're able to trounce the devil, that's the answer that ails individuals, ails cities, ails families, ails countries. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's time for the, Jesus, the church of Jesus Christ to be the church, filled with the Spirit men and women who depend on the Lord for the help which they need. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I'm him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It's true, we can do nothing in this area of witnessing on our own. But the corollary to that, apart from me, we can do, you can do nothing. But through me, you can do anything I give you to do. And that's our assignment, to be men and women dwell, indwelled by the Spirit of God. Boys and girls, look, children can share the gospel too. Children are some of the most effective evangelists. They don't have the inhibitions that we develop as adults. And praise God for our children. We need to be ready to give an answer to those who ask us for the hope that is within us when we have joy, when there should be sadness. We have peace when there should be anxiety. We have love when there should be hatred. They want to know why. How, what's the answer? Why are you the way you are? And we give the answer. It is the Lord. We're to be like Paul where he says, I become all things to all people that by all possible means I might save some.
He said, to those who are under the law, I become as one under the law. He understood that. He was a perfect keeper of the law of Moses and all the associated laws that the rabbis had accrued over centuries. He said, to those without the law, I have become as one without the law. Wow, that's a little different for him. Eating food that's not clean. Wow, that took some getting used to. The Lord had to prepare him for that. He says, to the weak, I become weak. You know, in his pre-Christian experience, he was the embodiment of strength. He was the man. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. But he learned that it's in weakness that we're strong. Why? Because when we're weak, and we all are weak, some of us are better at covering it up, we're all weak, because it's in weakness that we're ready to trust the Holy Spirit to use us to share Christ with people. We become like Paul. Now one of the things that I know I wrestle with until probably 45 years ago when I finally was introduced to this truth that I'm sharing with you today, I would say, well, I'm afraid I won't say the right thing, Lord. I don't want to lead someone in the wrong direction. And then I came across a couple of verses in Matthew chapter 10 where Jesus was talking to his disciples and he said, don't be anxious about how you speak or what you speak when you're delivered up to the authorities. For in that hour, you will be given what you're to speak. For it will not be you who does the speaking, but the spirit of your father who speaks through you. Isn't this beautiful? This is the way of God. This is the Holy Spirit's work. We become witnesses if we understand that the power of the Spirit, people want the power of the Spirit for their own welfare. And there is great, great benefit that the Spirit brings to us individually. Look, it's for the world. It's for people in our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, the remotest part of the earth. Preach the gospel. That's what we're called to do. Share it, not in a platform like this, but lovingly, one-on-one, -on -one, share Christ. I'll close with one final illustration. When I was on a mission trip to Mombasa, Kenya, and we were on the beach, we were having our last day kind of relaxing, and we had been witnessing a bit in the community, of course, but there were two young men who had a camel. And they brought the camel up and they asked, would we like to ride? There were about seven or eight of us men there from our church. And I told them no, and I just said, well, well, can I share something with you? And they allowed me to share the gospel. The camel knelt down. I've never had a pulpit like this. It was saddled, and I took my Bible and opened it. And I began to share the gospel with these young men. Jackson, who was crippled. He, he was paralyzed from the waist down. He was the leader, really. Jackson and the other guy was lucky was his name. I know his parents didn't give him that name. These young men were in their early 20s. I shared the gospel, and before long, people were coming around, curious, curious. And right then and there, Lucky and Jackson prayed to receive Christ. The next day, I, we, we only had one more day there, and I was very intent about going back and following up with them, I, I was thinking, oh Lord, we're here just one day and these people, we don't know anybody to connect them with because the place we were was far away from where he'd been 
visiting as far as that region was concerned. And so we, I said to them, tomorrow, can I come back? And Murray Van Gundy was with me. I said, can Murray and I come back tomorrow? And they said, yes, and where shall we meet you? And they showed us a place under some palm trees on the beach of the Indian Ocean. And so we come back and we were talking, I wonder whether they'll be there. Lord, please let them be there. You know what we found when we got there? They were there and they had spread a blanket out on the sand. And they were ready, and that little crippled man, Jackson, and his buddy, Lucky, they, they were so eager. We went over the first lesson in growing in Christ, the assurance of salvation. And they were so ready to, sh to go over it with us. You know, the world in Kenya, the world in Nepal, the world in El Paso, Texas, people are waiting for you and for me to share the gospel with them. By the power of the Spirit, not to build up a big church, forget it. But to build up the kingdom of God, yes, for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the teaching of your word. Thank you that everything we need for life and eternity is found in the Bible. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for being our teacher. Move us, Lord. Move us in our hearts. Help us not to be able to shake this great truth that the Holy Spirit has come upon us in power that we might be witnesses in El Paso, in Texas, in North America, and to the remotest part of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.